the reason why we see a lot of these like Insta gurus and things like that is because people are probably waking up a lot to their spirituality. And I think that is like, because we're experiencing a rise in consciousness and unity. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. I am buzzing to tell you about Beekeepers Naturals, you guys. Now, I've been into bee products for a really long time. And after I recorded and published episode 175 with Carly Stein, I got even more obsessed with bee products. Now, a lot of people think bees just make honey. Oh, that's nice. It tastes sweet and it comes in that little bear thing. No, dude. Bees make a whole suite of really potent superfoods. They're actually medicines in many countries. They're considered medicine, and I consider them that too. So you've got your propolis, you've got bee pollen, and of course the honey, and the royal jelly. Now, Beekeepers Naturals, which to me is the number one most premier bee product company in the world, also make a product called Bee Powered, which combines all of those superfoods from the hive into one product, which is just absolutely insane. There's something you need to be aware of, though, when it comes to bee products, is that even if you get, say, like a great honey that tastes delicious and it's labeled organic, it still could be tainted by pesticides like Roundup. It's called glyphosate. It's like one of the most gnarly pesticides in the world. Monsanto, you are evil. Shame on you. Why are you putting this stuff all over the planet? Anyway, I digress. Here's the deal though, you can label a bee product organic, but that doesn't mean that your bees from your hive aren't going down the road and like picking up a bunch of glyphosate and bringing it back into your hives. So you want to only use bee products from a company you can trust and Beekeepers Naturals is one such company because not only is their whole process organic and really kind to the environment and to the bees, which is really important, but they test for all contaminants and poisons and pesticides using a third-party verified lab. So you know that you're getting a pure, safe, and very effective product from beekeepersnaturals.com. So go to beekeepersnaturals.com, use the code LIFESTYLIST, and save 15% off your order. If you are a discerning health enthusiast like myself and you want the best of the best, chances are that you've probably sat there and scratched your head at the health food store trying to figure out which CBD product to buy, right? I mean, this has happened to me on multiple occasions. They all make these claims. It does this, it does that, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone says they're the best. Who is actually the best? What actually works? Well, I found something recently that I'm super stoked about. It's called Onda. Now, Onda offers a patented, truly full-spectrum line of products and bulk oil, actually, that's not dependent on the use of alcohol, CO2, or other solvents for extraction. 
and their CBD is organically grown and produced in the USA. Now, here's the thing. When you take a plant that has medicinal qualities like the hemp or the cannabis plant, right, and you start stripping away all of the turpines and all of the cofactors that make it really a holistic, natural medicine, you end up with something close to a pharmaceutical, right? Now, some pharmaceuticals are great um, in a pinch when everything else has failed, but when it comes to a natural product like CBD oil, you really want the full spectrum of the plant and you don't want a bunch of junk in there when they got the extraction done, right? In other words, when they get the medicine out of the plant, you don't want to be adding poisons to it. So that's why I'm super stoked on Onda. I've been using it for a couple months and I got to tell you, um, I don't have time to go into the benefits and there's legalities, but uh, this product has been amazing for sleep, anxiety, stress. I'm super into it. How you can get your hands on some is as follows. Go to OndaWellness.com. That's O-N-D-A, OndaWellness.com. And what's really exciting is that if you use the code LOOP15, you'll save 15% off. That's Onda Wellness and the discount code is Luke15. Go get your CBD on. Hey, what's up? Yeah, I'm talking to you. Welcome to the show. My name is Luke. I'm the host of this here thing called the Lifestylist Podcast. I made a decision recently on the show here after almost four years on the airwaves to upgrade our show notes. So we now have complete timestamp show notes with links to everything discussed in these conversations, in addition to complete transcripts of literally every word spoken. If you want to get your hands on the complete show notes, which by the way, if you have show notes that have timestamps, it allows you to skip to the parts that you want to hear. Not that I would ever want you to skip any parts of this show because I feel so connected to it and proud of it. But uh, I know sometimes time is short and you just want to get to that one bit that caught your interest when you looked at the show notes. Well, you can do that now, but you need to get on the newsletter. So here's how you do it. Go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. That's lukestory.com forward slash newsletter. If you don't want to use a browser, you can just text me. All right. It's that easy. Text the word lifestylist. That's all one word, lifestylist. And the number you're going to text is 44222. So just do it right now. Like, let's just do it together. I'll walk you through it. Okay, get out your text app. You can just keep my voice going right here. Put in the number 44222. Then in the body of the text, what you want to say is all one word, lifestylist. Got that? Then click send. You're going to get a prompt to enter your name and email. And every Tuesday, you're going to get the complete show notes for the Lifestylist podcast. That's lukestory.com forward slash newsletter or text the word lifestylist to the number 44222. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about today's show, episode 283, Ritual Baths and Soul Cleansing with Mama Medicine, aka Deborah Hanekamp. Second time she's been on the show, the first time we recorded it in New York City, and uh, truly I had some kind of -of out-of-body experience. It was madness. This girl's got some serious power. And so uh, I had to have her back on. She's got a new book. I've got a copy of it right here. It is absolutely beautiful. And uh, it's about ritual baths, man. And, you know, as a dude, I mean, like a dude's dude, right? I mean, I'm, I, I guess I'm, I'm a little out there. I'm, you know, I don't play football and whatnot, let alone watch it or ride a motorcycle, but I'm a dude's dude. I mean, I'm not, you know, not the kind of guy that's going to necessarily put flower petals in my bath, but I got this book and I'm like, damn, I need to start doing these baths. This looks amazing. <laughs> and so 
As I started to do some research for this conversation, I actually got really into it and really excited. And you're going to hear all about it uh, in this interview. So who is our guest? Well, Mama Medicine is Deborah Hanekamp. She's the author of the best-selling book, as I just mentioned, Ritual Baths, and is widely known as fashion's favorite healer. Mama Medicine facilitates medicine readings all over the world. And at the very end of every medicine reading, Deborah prescribes a ritual bath. And in a world of gurus and self-help, Mama Medicine encourages us to be our own healer and helps us connect to the true master within us all, the power of love. I'm so into that. And if you want to get a reading with her personally, remotely, you can go to mamamedicine.com slash medicine readings and use the code LUKE20 to save 20 bucks off your medicine reading throughout the end of 2020. So that's mamamedicine.com medicine readings and the code is LUKE20. I thought that was pretty cool. You might want to check that out. I've always wanted to have a reading with her actually, and I just haven't gotten around to it. Here's what we wrap about with Deborah on today's show. Why now more than ever, we all need to protect ourselves energetically and take our own self-care to the next level. All the various ritual baths and how they transform and heal you. And like I said, they're also great for guys. Don't trip. If you're a guy and you're like, oh, I'm going to pause this and move on to the Tim Ferriss show or the Joe Rogan show or something like that. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm just telling you, you're not going to regret it. We also talk about the elements, how to stay connected to them even while living in an urban environment, the healing power of hot springs and other natural soaks, which, man, it's probably my favorite thing in the world. I mean, that's now that's a ritual bath, right? How to filter your bath water and how to use uh, other additives to purify it. Also, see the show notes uh, in this episode. I put together a bunch of links and discounts for all my favorite uh, water filters, shower filters, etc. I knew that that was a piece that we we're going to cover here. So did a bit of research and found some that I really liked. And those are going to be in the show notes. You might find them in the app you're listening to, or you can find this episode at lukestory.com under the podcast section. Next, we talk about how a healer is different from a guru or savior and how to be your own best teacher. The role plant medicines have played in her journey and how they might just save humanity from destruction how she prays and keeps her connection with spirit alive. And finally, the importance of meditation and how anyone can make it a habit if they truly have the desire. Next week's episode, by the way, is going to be an extension of these far out topics. It's called Psychedelic Psychiatry and Cosmic Connections with Dr. David Rabin. It is a fantastic episode. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss that one. It's a mind blower, quite literally. Okay, now sit back, relax, perhaps in a ritual bath, and get ready to cleanse your soul with Mama Medicine. Deborah Hanekamp, Mama Medicine, what's happening? Long time no see. Yeah, long time no see. It's good to see you again. Good to see you too. I think you're aging backwards. <laughs> Zoom filter you have going on here, but um, you look great. Thanks. <laughs> your ritual baths must be paying off. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think so too. Before I forget, I'm going to show the people on our video, on our, our Zoom now. Now, normally we'd be recording in person and I would have this sitting on the set, which is what I do now. It's very talk show vibes, but this is um, Deborah's book. We're going to be talking about that and a number of other things. Probably looks backwards to you on video, but it's called uh, Ritual Baths. Or maybe just, does it look backwards when you look at it? It doesn't look backwards when I look at it. Reflecting my own self back on my call. Okay. Yeah, it's a whole different world here doing uh, you know, remote interviews. In the very beginning, I did so many of them like that. And then 
when I would go to New York and interview people like you, I got so spoiled of being able to sit down with someone and and have a um, you know a live conversation. So here we are, full circle. So let's go ahead and jump right in here. I think that it's a really interesting offering as your first book to write a book about ritual baths. And this will be to some of our our more earthy people listening, something they're like, oh, duh, yeah, I know what that is. I do that. But to some people, they're going to be like, what the hell is that? All I know is this is a really beautiful book and it's kind of the culmination of a lot of the work that you've done. So take us into what this book is all about just right off the bat. Well, my work is really focused on being your own healer and finding like really applicable and approachable ways to do so. And one of the things that I've found through the past two decades that I've been doing this work that I call medicine readings is that a bath is a really comprehensive way to be one's own healer. Because we all know that you feel one way before you get into a bath and another way when you get out of a bath. And I think that feeling of cleansing goes deeper than just what happens with the external physical body. I think there's also a spiritual experience that happens when we do that. And so putting intention with it and turning it into a ritual, it just sort of is a way for you to intend to heal yourself as you go into the bath. And when did you first start practicing this to the point where you made it a whole modality in a book? Um, I started recommending ritual baths to my clients around 15 years ago at the end of medicine readings. So that way, after they came to see me for our one-on-one time together, they would leave and have something that they felt like they could continue to do. Like they could continue to do the work on their own instead of being reliant on me, which is really important. And um, it just kind of stuck. Like people really got a lot out of the baths. And so I went deeper into it and, and started recommending a lot more ingredients and things like that based on the time that I spent in Peru, which we spoke about last time we got together. And also just based on what I know about like stones and herbs and all of that. It's interesting. I don't think I've ever had a ritual bath uh, mindfully. You know, I have all kinds of concoctions that I put in a bath. But uh, in when was that? Uh, December of 2019, a few months ago, I went to a place called Soltara in uh, Costa Rica to do four ayahuasca ceremonies. And uh, it was very much uh, in alignment with the Shipibo tradition. And so there were Shipibo healers there from Peru and they did this. Uh, ritual called the flower bath a couple of times just during the day as kind of a cleansing process. And it was, you don't, I mean, they just kind of pour it on you. You know, they make these, I'm sure you're familiar with these concoctions of just these beautifully aromatic flowers and uh, you don't sit in a bath. It just kind of, you get dunked. It's, it's sort of a baptism uh, of sorts. And I swear to God, I've never smelled anything that pleasant in my entire life. I don't know what they put in there, but it was it was a really beautiful experience. I actually posted um, a picture of it on my Instagram, just getting dunked. But I'm just like, I wish I could just smell this smell 24 hours a day. But it was, um, it was actually really, aside from just that part of it, 
it was a really beautiful experience, even though it was kind of brief. You're sort of in an assembly line and they walk you up and just, I mean, they're reverent about it, but it's not like you sit there for half an hour and bask in some nice water. It's just like mm-hmm. next. Mm-hmm. It had an impact on me. And I think that's what sort of piqued my interest in your book and this whole thing. And um, so I, I guess uh, that leads me into my next question. Is there... Um, what historical, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like what historical relevance or background does this have? Does the idea of getting in water in a very sacred way and putting special things in there go back throughout different cultures? And if so, what are they and when? Yeah, I mean, it goes back. I mean, we all like associate milk and honey in a bath with like Cleopatra you know, it goes like way, way back in many different religions. You know, in Judaism, you have like the mikvah, which I think is a bath of conversion when you convert into Judaism. And, you know, for me personally, I was actually raised really strict Baptist. And the only thing that really strongly spoke to me about that religion was the baptism. And you don't get like baptized in that religion until you're about 30 years old and you actually have sins to wash away. But when I was eight years old, I basically like demanded to be baptized. And then the bath work kept on like showing up for me again and again, like later on when I was spending time in the Amazon, um, the ritual baths that were given similar to what you're describing was one of the most like powerful experiences I had. You know, I, w- I was having like a really, really hard dieta. And my teacher took me to this waterfall and he had me like cover myself in clay, go stand under the waterfall, cover myself in honey, go stand under the waterfall. And he was preparing this whole ritual bath. And then he had me come out and he dunked the dunked the ritual bath on me while he was singing an Ikaro. And it like, it, it turned like the darkest experience into like one of such magnificence and beauty. And so I don't know, it was one of those things that just kept on showing up. I feel like I have a lot more to learn actually about the history of baths. Like I think it goes way, way before the Romans, way before ancient Egypt. I think there's something even more ancient than I really understand in there with them. Well, it, it's something that's, I'm thinking about other, other uh, ways in which humans interact with water. And that if you look back in the most primordial sense, we came from water, right? Yeah. Mostly made of water. I don't know. I'm a Scorpio water sign. Water is really my element, I would say. But I'm always fascinated by uh, hot springs, you know, hot springs and Mm -hmm. in any natural body of water is, I would say, probably my favorite thing in the world, maybe after sex, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, like I love hot springs. In fact, when I first started my podcast, I was kind of, I was determining what this brand was going to be and what I was going to be all about. And uh, a friend of mine was... uh, looking into selling this website called findaspring.com. And he's like, I know you're the spring guy. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give you a shot at it first. And I had this vision of, of building this website and making a business out of just traveling the world and discovering drinking springs, natural drinking springs and hot springs all over the world. And just being like, 
the foremost expert and world traveler and immersive journalist on all things, you know, bodies of water. And, you know, ultimately it wasn't, it wasn't my dharma. A friend of mine is now doing it um, that owns a, this company called Live Spring Water and Find a Spring is doing amazing. But what I find interesting is when I visit sacred hot springs around the world, which is usually the main thing I seek out when I travel other than whatever reason I'm there for. Me too. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, just like first thing I do is I land, I'm like, where's the hot springs? Or even sometimes ahead of time. But I always get the sense when I'm in a spring... Because of course they've been there forever, uh, in one form or another. At least that water's been coming up. I mean, maybe it wasn't in a nice pool always, but the water's kind of always been coming up, or at least for a very long time. And I think about historically, wow, how many generations of humans have been coming to heal in those waters. So there's this energetic imprint of that specific crack in the earth where that water's coming up hot, and also. Um, just the healing properties of all the different waters around the world and the energetics that they pick up and the minerals that they pick up. And I just, I don't know of anything that makes me feel better than getting in a hot spring and then ideally jumping in a super cold river, lake, whatever nearby and doing that a few times back and forth, like makes me feel the most alive I could possibly feel. Mm -hmm. It's definitely something too you know, the historical relevance of getting in water and having it heal us. Absolutely. It's, we're experiencing like a rebirth, you know, we spent like the first nine months of our physical lives in water of the womb. And when we go back in, we're having a whole another like womb-like experience and when you go when you go in the water and you close your eyes and you you let just your nose stick out of the water it's it's like you're you really feel yourself in the womb it's unbelievable that's interesting i never thought about it like that that might explain why i like float chambers so much mm, i love them yeah that's yeah I wonder, like, you know what would be sick? Just throwing out a business idea here. And okay, let's hear it. Give it to you first since you're the <laughs> bath uh, uh, master here. But imagine, like, it would be kind of messy. I don't know how it would work because you'd have multiple people in. But imagine a float tank or a float chamber with not only Epsom salt, but also, you know, the crystals and the other elements and the flower essences and petals and all that. Like, imagine turning a float into ritual bath. That's my, that's my contribution today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yes, absolutely. I totally see that. It could be so beautiful. And maybe also having like a sound element with like bowls or something like that in the water. Oh, right. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm kind of bummed right now. The float center that I go to in LA is closed. Uh, I did go there one day because the owner let me in to shoot some video and stuff, but I, I didn't get like a real float. Um, what are some of the other... Give me, run me through like one of your favorite preparations and you know the intention setting beforehand, the, uh, the whole purpose of that particular color, the different flowers, the oils, the things that you use in a bath. Run me through like one of your rock star baths from start to finish. I feel like... All of the baths are really, really special, but maybe today because it's Earth Day and um, 
it's like the new moon and all of that. I'm thinking a lot about this one bath in there, which is in the green aura section, which is called the I am nature bath. And it's designed to help us to remember that we're nature. And um, the so the intention with it is like that you remember who you really are, like that you remember that, you know, you're everything that you see happening in nature is a part of you and you are a part of nature. Your blood is water. Your fire is your, your spirit is fire. Your breath is wind. Your body is earth. Like all of that is already in you. And that bath is to remind you of that. And so there's salt in it, um, which helps to neutralize kind of negative energies maybe that you're bringing or like chaotic energies that you're bringing into the whole ritual. And then um, all of your non-water soluble crystals, basically your crystals that would be polished. The ones that are really special are the ones that like you find on your own in nature, especially for this bath in particular. So even if it's just like a smooth gray stone that you found on the beach, that would be really special to put in the bath. And then I believe it's pink rose petals and rosemary. Rosemary is an herb that when you go throughout the book, you'll find this plant in almost all of the baths because baths and bathing have this kind of like womb-like, very mama medicine kind of experience, like mama being like, you know, just that like feminine energy experience. Um, rosemary to me is like, if there was a plant that was the embodiment of the divine feminine, it would be rosemary. And it's sort of like a plant that can heal so much. It can, if we drink a little bit of it as a tea, it can heal our liver. It can heal all sorts of stuff with our skin. So rosemary would be in the bath as well. That's awesome. Actually, when I'm uh, walking around the neighborhood, I often pick rosemary from people's yards and just smell it as I walk around. I love rosemary. Uh, that so reminds, I'm actually out of rosemary essential oil. I'd like to get some more of that. I like to just put it in my hands and just kind of huff it. It is really magical. That and um, lavender. I love to pick lavender flowers too when I'm out. They just, mm-hmm. oils of those two plants are just so aromatic and special. They're they're friends. They're really good friends with each other too. Like the two of them together work wonders. So when you talk about medicine readings and how you got your start doing that and then have sort of, you know, blossomed into all sorts of other things, including this book, uh, going back to discovering yoga when you were 17 then opening up your own studio at 24, which by the way, kudos, that's quite ambitious. And Mm -hmm. then you know, people wanting to spend more time with you. So you take them down to the basement or whatever, under the studio and you do these medicine readings. And then that kind of evolved into this highly sought after, you know, almost celebrity treatment that people in the fashion industry in New York uh, are, are coveting, et cetera. Uh, one experience also that I'd like to have someday, I know we've crossed paths a few times and I'm looking forward to it, but what, what does a medicine reading entail for someone who, who's just never even heard of that term? I'm doing them mostly digital now, by the way. Like I only do them in person anymore when it's like a really special experience. This is with coronavirus and without coronavirus energy. Like I, I, cause I've been wanting to see more people from all around the world, but I can't 
travel all the time. So it was the it was like a really strong decision I made at the end of the year. But basically a medicine reading, it's a one-on-one experience designed to support people to be their own healer. So when you come, you set the intention of our time together by talking about anything in life that you're looking to call in or clear out. And then I sit with you and I read your aura. And I tell you what is in your aura that could be like hidden talents and gifts or things that could be blocking you. I see into your aura what you are carrying in on this specific day that we meet. Like I think there's something about divine timing with medicine readings. Um, And I see exactly what needs to be mentioned to you to support you in your path of being your own healer. So like for some people that might be I'm telling them exactly about the colors in their aura and what that means. Or sometimes like past life stuff will come up if it's relevant to today. Um, Sometimes different like relationship stuff will come up or location and work stuff will come up. But I'm never really telling people, oh, you should you should break up with that person or like you need to move to this like other country or anything like that because I kind of want people to come to things on their own and be patient with them and give them time to come to it. So everything is just like suggestion that comes up, but it's also usually the result is if people are crying and it's like spot on with the talking part, right? Then we go into a ceremony that is, whether we're in person or distance, it's facilitated with distance healing. And then I incorporate sound into that as well, including singing. And then I send you on your way with like some homework for you to do and also a prescription for a ritual bath for you to take. So you leave feeling really empowered. Like you have tools that you can use to be your own healer. Awesome. And for those listening, I want to encourage you guys to go back and listen to episode 125, the one we did before, because I don't know, when I have people on a second time, I don't want to... It would probably serve the audience to repeat a bunch of stuff from the first time in terms of historical relevance and you know the origin story. But I'm always like wanting to get to the new stuff. So I don't yeah. go back and, and, and tell the same story again. So I want to encourage people to go back because the, the story of how your gifts emerged and what your subjective experience is like being a person who has that high level of empathy and is tuned into things like seeing auras and past lives uh, is a really fascinating listen. So I really want to encourage people to you know go back for uh, that reference because it was a it was a beautiful conversation and and one of my favorites out of you know three hundred or something that I've done now. One piece there that stands out to me I think is. The potential that humans have to uh, feel helpless and lose their sense of sovereignty. And when they work with someone who's a healer, therapist, uh, shaman, etc., that uh, it's easy for them to put that person on a pedestal and feel that that person as a conduit is necessary in order for them to find their true or higher self or God. You know, and this goes back through many of their religions, of course. Mm-hmm with that intent of like, you need us in order to get 
to where you want to go. Um, and I've noticed through speaking with you and just following your work that your model is, as you've indicated twice here today, is more set up about empowering the person that you're working with as a healer rather than them putting you on a pedestal as some you know, guru or savior that they are now kind of addicted to and have to keep chasing. So perhaps you could illuminate for us from your perspective, the difference between those two paradigms. Well, I think that, you know, and on, on like a microcosmic level, because I started out in the spiritual world as such a young person, I really like sought after like any, anyone who's like, I'm a guru. I'm like, great. Like sign me up. I want to learn everything. And, and shaman. Yes, absolutely. This teacher, that teacher, I want I just wanted to like learn and, and, and heal. And I wanted to fix myself and all of that. And every single time I gave my power away to one of these people, I, and it's not necessarily that, you know, these like guru shamans, you know, master this. It's not that they're ill intended all of the time. I don't actually think that they are. I think it's like a paradigm that is set up where it's almost like the disempowered leading the disempowered. And it's just like what they know and how they know how to help people versus like, than actually trying to like cause harm. But that being said, I feel like disempowerment is a big issue with all of the issues within the world today. Because I think when we feel disempowered, we feel kind of afraid and, you know, we are starting to understand we need to choose love over fear, but that is right now sitting in the intellect versus actual practice at this point. So I saw all these people and I was like, okay, I really want my work to be something different. I want it to be something that like, even though you might get totally annoyed with me when you come, because I'm not like, okay, here's the 10 steps to like having a mansion in Bel Air and like, you know, this like dream husband or whatever, you know, like people might get annoyed with me about that. But I also feel like I would rather have people get a little frustrated with me but walk away with their power intact then like them give their power away to me and think I'm some superhuman when I'm not I'm just like a mom from Brooklyn you know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you touched on something interesting there and that's just the the inherent innocence of spiritual seekers whether they're on the side of the student or the teacher right and that there's this propensity for the human ego to find its position in in the hierarchy, right? It's just kind of part of our animal makeup. So perhaps there's people that are on the shaman, healer, guru side that that get that have the experience of their ego co-opting their gifts and taking on some sort of persona and then perhaps feeding on the rush of power in that position of leadership on the more arrogant or prideful side of the ego coin. And then you have the aspiring student or the Healy that feels less than and disempowered because of their shadow ego and shame ego that then get locked into that kind of dynamic in a relationship, right? And so uh, I I know that it's been something important um, for me to observe within myself is to really be mindful of that spiritual ego as I start to gain more knowledge, wisdom, experience, etc., 
to remain humble and and know that any inspiration that comes through me didn't originate in me, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, really important lesson for spiritual leaders and teachers to to maintain is that it ain't you. <laughs> you know? yeah. And for also people that are following those people or students of, of those teachers that know that it's not them either. And that if something true is is manifesting in that experience, that they're but a conduit or channel for consciousness in a greater sense to come through. And they've found ways to open that up and um, illuminate and uh, describe those states to you and help you to achieve it. Um, but it's, it's, you know, all in all, would you, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I think I could guess the answer, but now that, and I don't want to be disparaging to anyone who's doing good and bringing light and love into the world. But I think now that spirituality is so trendy that there seems to be uh, perhaps more spiritual bypass and people just kind of becoming Insta gurus or something. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. I see people popping up all the time. Like, wow, everyone's a spiritual teacher. And that's, you know what I mean? On one side, that's awesome. It's sort of like the posed meditation pictures on Instagram. I used to make fun of that, you know, as kind of a dick move um, because I just thought it was funny. Uh, But then on one hand, I'm like, thank God. I mean, that's, that's a huge step in the right direction from like, look at my Ferrari or whatever, you know, Yeah. to be judgmental in either one of those paths. But we're in an interesting time because we're in this sort of global awakening as a species. And at the same time, there's um, perhaps some, oh, I don't know if it's innocent inauthenticity or just people have not had the experience to really explore shadow and do the work. So what's, what's your perspective on that and advice to people that are seeking teachers or advice to people that are finding themselves in a position of becoming teachers, um, keeping all that in mind? I really like what you said about it. Like, it's not me. It's like working through me because I think that's a really important thing to understand like we all have access to the divine because we all have love. And so we all have that like master healer within us. And that is the love that is within us. So, you know, if you like your healing miracle could be like taking your dog for a walk because that's an act of love. And that then becomes like a spiritual act. And so I think that it's really important to like come into respect of ordinariness being a spiritual experience versus always trying to have this extraordinary experience and this, you know, this like rapture, this like mind blowing, I'm in the 10th dimension experience, you know, it's like the ordinariness, the like the, you know, taking care of what you have with like gratitude, taking care of who you have with gratitude and, and honor and respect. Like this is really powerful spiritual work. Yeah. That when you're speaking in that way, it, it reminds me of the simplicity of Buddhism or, or Taoism, right? Where it's more uh, about subtraction of the false than it is adding more true, right? It's like, You don't need to add more God into your life. You need to get rid of the things that aren't of God or that are false rather than true, right? It's it's in that simplicity and being ordinary. And I've talked about many times on the show too, some of my most pr- profound spiritual meetings with spiritual masters have been 
bus drivers, janitors, housekeepers, like oh, totally. Dude at the dog park, and you just look in their eyes, and you're like, oh shit, they've got the thing. They, they're tapped in, and and they they probably don't even realize it. They're just being ordinary, but have the ability to really profoundly uh, land in the present moment and have some sort of relationship with spirit that you feel the minute you get in their presence, but they're never going to become a, a healer, a guru, a spiritual teacher. They're just living their life and walking their dog. Yeah. And some of my favorite experiences in life, you know, and they really stand out because it's like, wow, the doorman at this building in New York City just gave me this look in the eyes that changed my life. And they might not even know it. Totally. Some of the conversations I've had with like taxi drivers, I usually do taxis, not (laughs) yellow cab person, but some of the conversations I've had with them have been like unbelievable because you, you ask them about where they're from in the world. And then you start talking about like their connection to family or their connection to like the divine and what they call it. And you get to hear like the most beautiful deep, deep, deep stories. And I miss that about being able to randomly connect with people, you know, I miss that. Because of the, and I, you know, by the time, who knows where we'll be with this, this thing. I don't even know what to call it anymore because it's very confusing. There's very, a lot of um, mixed messages about the current thing we find. So by the time this comes out, everything might be back to normal, but for, you know, just, relevance sake right now, you can't go hop in a cab and just cruise around and have these one-on-one experiences, which is uh, such an interesting element uh, to find new ways of human connection. When mm-hmm. you about working with people remotely, um, I, f- I find this interesting. There's this side of me that's very logical and pragmatic and kind of wants to see proof and studies and it has to make sense and there has to be some scientific you know basis to something before I'll buy into it and then there's this other part of me that is maybe the part that I access when I meditate where I realize that space time distance all of that is a construct and that everything is everywhere all of the time and I kind of dance between those worlds um working you know in the work that I do and getting to speak with someone like Joe Dispenza who and can so clearly articulate uh, the premise of quantum physics and that there is no such thing as you're in New York and I'm over here, that that space is imaginary. Um, What's it like for you when you do readings or interact with people and feel into their aura and their being uh, sitting in a room with them versus having them on the phone or just thinking about them or having them on a Zoom call or something like that? Yeah, I don't really feel that big of a difference because I I feel like if we're in person in the same space, we're together. And if we're meeting at the same time, we're together. And even when we're not meeting at the same time, we're together. And when we do the remote medicine reading, it's just a time that we're choosing to intentionally meet together. Um, I, I don't know, like... I'm big into the concept that like linear time and space is an illusion. And I think when I was younger in my work, I used to always try to like back everything up with science and like 
prove, even with like to see the auras, it's like, okay, how, how can this be? Like, what's going on? Like, what's going on with my brain that's making this happen? But I really stopped doing that because it, first of all, is like not really me. <laughs> and second of all, I feel like the level, like the level of where spiritual, spiritual understanding is now and like the understanding of unity consciousness is now compared to where it was even five years ago is like astonishing. You know, like we, I think we really are understanding how connected we are. And I think like the reason why we see a lot of these like Insta gurus and things like that is because people are probably waking up a lot to their spirituality. And I think that is like, because we're experiencing a rise in consciousness and unity. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think something that's helpful, or at least has been in my experience with understanding that the linear way in which we experience space and time is an illusion is through plant medicines Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and meditation. I don't think it's necessary for someone to do plant medicines or psychedelics to have that. But any time I've ever taken any kind of a journey, even when I did so as a teenager and stuff, not consciously or intentionally at all, I got the sense that oh, things are not as they seem. <laughs> you know, and it really pierced the veil of reality, or at least my perception of reality. What role in your life uh, early on? I know you had quite a bit of experience with the ayahuasca and whatnot based on our last conversation. What role have plant medicines in the more indigenous shamanic setting or even uh, psychedelics in a clinical therapeutic setting or anything like that? What role have consciousness altering substances played in your journey and are they still part of your life or will they ever be? Well, I think that um, ayahuasca will always be a part of my life. You know, I spent eight years on like a deep dive with that plant consciousness. And I feel that even though I'm, I purposefully don't take anything to alter my consciousness now for the past three years, I, uh, I, I still feel like I'm processing and integrating a lot from ayahuasca, like a lot, you know? And I still have dreams where I'm like, in the Amazon jungle and I hear the loud symphony of the animals there and I'm in a ceremony and I'm receiving a blessing. And so I know like I'm still connected to that energy very strongly. Um, And I agree with you. I don't think everyone needs to do plant medicines to heal themselves, but you know, I had like a very tumultuous upbringing and I'm also a Scorpio. And so I'm like kind of an intense person. Yeah. Just, you know, not easy. (laughs) Things are not easy, but basically like, I think that ayahuasca and the way that that plant consciousness helped me to start to perceive the world, which also I started drinking ayahuasca when I was 24. I think that it helps me to heal on a very, very deep level things that I would have maybe even never really understood that I was carrying. I think that it helped me to 
not be afraid of who I am and like not be afraid of whatever like my gifts are, but instead really honor them. I think like the whole apprenticeship that I did in the Amazon ayahuasca being a really big part of it really knocked out a lot of ego for me and gave me a lot of humility and then restructured my will with confidence rather than ego. And I think that that is a gift that I can now, that, that, that example of confidence is a gift that I can now pass down to like my daughter and to my clients who come to see me for medicine readings, like that feeling like you got this, you can do this, you know? And I, I definitely, definitely equate that to my ayahuasca experience. I so relate to that. Yeah. It's like I've discovered through the just eight experiences that I've had uh, so many things that were brought up to heal that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or just recontextualizing experiences that I've had in life that were traumatic, et cetera, uh, that, you know, kind of altered my personality in a negative way um, and are holding me back in some capacity. Just it allowed me to see the depth of those experiences in a way that I was completely unaware of. So like, oh yeah, that thing happened. That was kind of rough when I was eight. Eh, whatever, move on. But really being able to go into some of those things and see how profoundly I was impacted and how you know certain experiences just completely altered the whole trajectory of my life um, in a negative sense in many cases. Um, well, I guess it's not really negative in the end because it all brings you to where you are. But you know, made life a lot more challenging, I guess you could say, and not even know it was there. So I, I just find that that's so fascinating. And I also really relate to the part of being shown um, uh, ways in which I was hiding my gifts and taking kind of a low key, easy way out without really being seen or being too vulnerable or risking being judged or failing, especially in terms of my career and kind of the offerings that I make and where I'm playing small and hiding out and things like that. And uh, I don't know who else could, I mean, I guess you could have a, a teacher or a guide that could point those things out to you, but it's really profound when you're realizing them yourself by having the veil of your intellect kind of being subsided momentarily by the influence of those medicines, you know, where just you're able to see yourself in a completely different way at such depth that I think would be for me really hard to achieve in any other way. It's just like, it's like taking a rocket ship to the moon and, you know, versus a tricycle, you know what I mean? It's just like, whoa, okay. But not for the faint at heart. And as we've both indicated, not for everyone in all times, you know, so I'm always really, I tiptoe around the plant medicine and psychedelic thing because I, I don't think there were, times in my life, it would have been useful or productive and could have even been destructive. And thankfully, I was able to follow my intuition and, and not partake in that for a long, long time until I really felt a strong and um, verifiably, verifiably legitimate calling where I knew that it was for the right reasons and that you know who I chose to sat, sit with and where and when and how and all that was very clear. You know. Have you had experiences with other uh, medicines or psychedelics other than ayahuasca that have been instrumental in your awakening? Oh yeah, definitely. I definitely. So back to the tumultuous upbringing, um, 
we had like no real like solid my brother and I by we I mean we had no real like solid parental figures when we were growing up so I got into like really into Pink Floyd really into William Blake uh, poetry and also artwork really into everything from the Theosophy Society when I was like 13 years old and I had one of my friends had a much older brother. He gave us LSD and I just loved it. Like it made so much sense to me. And I, and and also like mushrooms, that, that level of like, like things that were drugs that were just really, I felt like really like negative. I pretty much stayed away from like I kind of tried everything, but there, there were things like, you know, when I would be at a party or something like that and people would be doing Coke and they would be like, Oh, I love you so much. And things like that. I, I would just feel like, no, I'm not just not interested. Like, but LSD, mushrooms, anything, you know, MDMA, anything that was like out there, I was so into. And then when I was 17, so basically I was like that from 13 to 17. And then when I was 17, I had that like wake up call. Um, and I knew I had to like really clean up my act and like not do anything to shift my consciousness. And um, then I didn't do anything like uh, psychedelic related. For the most part, I went to Burning Man when I was 22. And obviously... Definitely. I did mushrooms out there, but for the most part, stayed away from everything. And then when I was 24, that's when I found ayahuasca and I was at a really like very clean point in my life and really deep into my work. But what you were saying before um, about what ayahuasca brought up for you, it made me think about something I was thinking about today, about how like water holds memory. And because we are mostly water, we hold memory within us. And so while our intellect and our linear thought and linear mind might not be able to like figure everything out or heal everything. And that's why like, while I deeply respect clinical psychology and things like that, I think it can take us to a certain point. Whereas things like meditate, your meditations, your breath works, your plant medicines, things that bring you into more of like your water energy, which is like your intuition. And, you know, water, all water in the world is is connected to all water. So it's like a transmitter. So when we do these things that really expand our consciousness, I think memory is something that comes up really strongly. Memory both of who we are, memory maybe even of like our purpose and our path and what we're meant to do, but also memory of like what it might have been like when we existed in a time where we were all connected to all different dimensions at all times. Wow. That's deep. I never thought about that. That's really interesting. That idea that all of the water on the planet is connected to itself in some way, somewhere. That's so fascinating. And also the, the, imprint of memory on water crystals which sounds woo woo but there's actually like a lot of science behind that it's really it's really yeah. 
I just, I'm, as I said earlier, just fascinated by water. And I think that's why this bath, you know, the ritual bath thing was like, oh yeah, I like water. What's up with this book? Let me, let me talk to mama medicine and like catch, catch up on this. We'll be right back at you after this brief, but important announcement. All right, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. The bad news is you've probably been wasting your money on enzymes or not eating enzymes at all, and that you've probably been manipulated by the supplement industry since about the 1980s that eating more protein is going to help you gain more muscle. Here's the deal. Just because you eat more protein doesn't mean you're going to absorb that protein and build more muscle. Furthermore, even if you don't think you care about building muscle, if you happen to care about burning fat, well, you need to burn muscle to do that. Here's how it works. Let's just say you eat an eight ounce chicken breast. That's about 40 grams of protein. Just because you ate that 40 grams of protein, however, doesn't mean you're going to absorb all 40 grams. The problem there is that without the proper enzymes, most of it ends up in your toilet bowl. Your small intestine can only absorb protein that's been broken down into smaller building blocks. They're called amino acids. So you can eat protein all day long. I don't care if it's 30 grams or 300 grams. Without enzymes, it will not build muscle and as a result, not burn fat. And most enzymes on the market are a ripoff because it's really expensive and labor intensive to produce them properly. So the one that I trust and use myself on a daily basis is called Masszymes by Bioptimizers. It's a full spectrum enzyme formula with five different kinds of protease. In fact, more protease than any other on the market. If you want to watch them in action, you can see this really crazy video where these Masszymes dissolve a raw steak before your very eyes. You can find that video at masszymes.com slash Luke. It's just how it sounds. M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S, masszymes.com slash Luke. And if you happen to order some of the enzymes, you've got a full year money-back guarantee, which is the gold standard in the industry. So what you want to do is go to masszymes.com slash Luke and make sure to enter the coupon code Luke10 to receive 10% off your order. That's masszymes.com slash Luke. And now back to the interview. There's something actually I wanted to go back to on the bath topic. And I remember when I opened up this book, I was like, oh, this is so beautiful, like amazing photography. It's just, it's just really, really well designed. And I had a vision of at some point doing kind of a coffee table book or something about all of my, you know, random lifestyle hacks and whatnot. Um, but one thing that came to me right away, and I and I don't want to like shit on anyone who's doing the ritual baths and has your book or is going to get it and like negatively imprint that experience. But being such a water geek, I've spent years studying, uh, you know, like kind of the health and the makeup of water, and found that municipal waters, tap waters, generally in most places around the planet, are extremely toxic. And so uh, when I moved in this house that I'm in now where my studio is, I was really excited because I have a jacuzzi bath, like a big bath, plenty of room for two people and it's been quite fun. And um, so I got this little kind of bath ball filter. It's you know like a little charcoal filter thing and it takes out a little bit of the chlorine and it's better than nothing. But uh, still when I get in the bath, because I've had really good shower filters and I only drink spring water and I'm such a water aficionado slash snob when i'm in the bath it's like almost all i can smell is chlorine and then i start imagining the fluoride and you know the pharmaceuticals and birth control pills and like all the other stuff that is has been documented to be in tap water and so i don't know i feel like for the show notes of this episode i want to throw i'm probably going to do a little research and throw in some different options for people 
that might be able to clean up their water if they weren't so situated to be, you know, living on land with a well that's unpolluted water, et cetera. Have you, have you given any consideration to this or do you, do you have any hacks on ways people can kind of make the water a bit cleaner and less toxic? Yeah, I've thought a lot about this. Um, and I also would love your research on like really awesome water filters for the bath because I, I'm still looking for like a great one. I still like there isn't one yet that has come out that I really feel like I can get behind. So I would love to see what you come up with. <laughs> Same here. Um, but I think, you know, things like activated charcoal and bentonite clay and, um, Sugite in the water, like these are things that help to kind of take a lot of those pollutants out of the water. But I also think that we we have more power to heal than we do. No. And I think we can transform that at least like the energetic properties of these harsh chemicals through intention. And if you've ever read um Masuru Emoto's work, the water crystal guy. Oh, yeah. uh, she has. Oh, what do you want to say? Hidden messages in water for show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And he has another book called The Healing Powers of Water. And there's one section in it where one of the co authors, whose name I can't recall at the moment, writes about. Um, like creating a vortex around the water and the way like you stir and you spin the water actually helps to take the the negative memories out and transform it into positive memories. So I'm I've been like I don't have the machine that he's suggest suggesting, but I I have been like stirring the baths in a counterclockwise way and just putting that intention of putting like healing back into the water basically. That's yeah, Victor Schauberger was one of the foremost experts on all things water and uh and talked a lot about the vortexing of water. That's a really good point actually. You can uh you can get a copper rod and vortex the water and make a spiral like that and it does affect the energetic imprint of the water. That's that's a really good actually a uh, really good reminder. Um, on that note, I think there's this fine line that I'm always walking and it's true of water and also of the EMFs in our environment. Like even like moderate people are becoming aware that 5G is not a great idea, nor was 4G, 3G, 2G or 1G for that matter. Putting radiation throughout the entire environment is not good for the planet or us or any living creatures anywhere. But we did it and here we are. Um, so I'm always kind of trying to find the balance between becoming aware and mitigating the effects of things like that, but also remaining positive and using the kind of Jedi mind trick that you just described to override the physical reality. And based on Dr. Emoto's work, that's such a great observation where he would take these um, different samples of water from around the world, like you know tap water from Tokyo or somewhere really polluted and then, you know, put the word love on it and the water crystals would then be photographed and he would change the, the actual structure of the water just by putting intention or playing music or different words. And that just goes to show 
if you're choosing to take a ritual bath or, you know, interacting with water in any way, like I have an ice bath. Actually, that's so funny. I just realized I take a ritual bath every day. It's 40 degrees and I meditate in my ice bath. That's so hilarious. I did not even think about that. Uh, that is so funny. Um, I'm like, wait, I'm already doing this. Some salt, some essential oils, rose petals. I'm good. Yeah. That's hilarious. But you know, I do filter the water when I get in my bath, but also when I get in, I, I do use my mind to just go, Luke, this is healing water. This is clean water. This is beautiful water. And really to transmute the chemistry of that water with intention, which has been proven to be actually scientifically valid. So mm-hmm. I think it's a really important distinction that you bring up. And it's like, I've interviewed, you know, people like Bruce Lipton and talked to him about EMFs, which you could just apply that same thing to the health of the water that we're bathing in. And, um, you know, his take on it is that like worrying about the EMFs or worrying about the toxic bath that you're about to take is actually compounding the negative effects of it and making it worse for you than getting in and just going like, no, this is beautiful. I'm healing. Like I have, you know, an auric field. I have a magnetic field that's going to push all this away from me and I'm totally safe. Because when your limbic system is firing because you feel threatened, it weakens your immune system and actually makes you more susceptible to the threat that you're worried about. So it's a really strange kind of, it's a strange dynamic within our, our psychology that we have to grapple with where we don't just put our head in the sand and pretend like something doesn't exist because it does. But then do we let fear overrun us when it's something that we don't really have the power to change? Totally. Now, like such as living in an apartment in New York City, like what are you going to do? Call the super and have them put a whole building filter on the New York City tap water? You know, it's like there's certain things that you just kind of like, well, here I am. I'm just going to have to deal, you know? Yeah, totally. It goes back to like that concept of being one's own healer and not, you know, not giving our power away to others, but to like really own it for ourselves and go like, okay, it's 5G, the water's toxic. Like, you know, the government, all of these things, but I'm going to choose to have like patience and presence and perseverance. And I'm going to take accountability and responsibility for my own healing. And I'm going to choose love because that's the master healer in us. And I think right now, and this will continue into the future, as we raise our consciousness, we're going to become more and more aware of the ways in which we may be being attacked in some way, but we can't let our energy be contaminated by fear because then we start becoming like reactive to all of it. And, you know, I think that that actually is so spot on that that is what will make us sick. Yeah. Yeah. I like to say, trust God, tie up your camel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Understand there's certain things you you can't change and you're just going to trust the universe, trust God that all is well. You're going to be safe. You're going to come out fine in the end. And also like throw some bentonite clay and activated charcoal in your bath to help just, you know, uh, neutralize some of those toxins and then live your life and enjoy that bath. And I will add one other hack that I found years ago uh, because I've been doing, the baths I've been doing for a long time are a bunch of bentonite clay, calcium bentonite clay. Um, I haven't thought of putting charcoal in and also baking soda. Mm-hmm tons of Epsom salts and whatnot. Um, not really done the 
flowers, but I do usually put a lot of essential oils in there and I kind of have my own little thing. It's so funny. I'm realizing like, wait, I've, I've kind of been doing this, just not that thoughtfully. You know what I mean? I haven't... Yeah setting intentions and really making it that sacred. I'm more like, okay, and I'm going to, you know, my body hurts. I want to get in and what's going to make it not hurt. Um, But one thing you can do to help neutralize uh, chloramine and chlorine, which are kind of the two disinfectants is you can put a little bit of nascent iodine, even just like three or four drops of it. And that does counteract some of the off gassing of the chlorine, which is a pretty, pretty easy fix. Cause they're kind of- I've never heard of that. Yeah, they're the opposite. I don't know how to explain it from a chemistry standpoint, but I've talked to smart people that can. And um, they're at the opposite end of the periodic table. And so they're, in in essence, balance themselves out. And one of the reasons humans are so deficient in iodine is that we don't eat a lot of uh, sea vegetables anymore as we've evolved to in different places in the earth. And also that these chloramines and chlorines are so prevalent in our environment and all of our water and drinks and Every time you get a kombucha and any beer, wine, anything you drink that was made with tap water, uh, even if it's been filtered, probably still has some of that stuff in it. So using iodine is a way that you can, um, even just internally taking iodine periodically in small doses helps you kind of shield that stuff. But but I'm with you. It's more about like shielding from a conscious point of view and you know mitigating the effects on your nervous system and the stress and just you know take little steps that you can to up-level your water, your environment, your diet, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the fear is, is compounding all of that toxicity, and making it much more harmful. Totally. So there you go. Ding, ding, ding. There's my soapbox. Um, <laughs> why did you decide to not do plant medicines anymore? And do you have like a, uh, a, a finite decision on that? Or are you just like, for right now, I'm not, but who knows what will happen in the future? Or do you feel like you're really done with that? I feel like if I, I feel like ayahuasca finds you. I, I speak to ayahuasca specifically because in terms of plant medicines, it's just the one that I feel like most connected with. Oh, but I would be open to other consciousnesses as well. Um, I feel like it finds you. And I feel like, you know... The Amazon jungle, when I went to it at the beginning of that eight years and the Amazon jungle, when I went to it at the end of that eight years was actually like a little heartbreaking in terms of like the effects of like the ayahuasca tourism on the people and also the place. And so I felt like it was important for me to step back from it in terms of like the example that I set for people. Okay, got but I, I really would love to do a ceremony again. And I'm just waiting for the right time to do it, you know, or like I do there, there's other plants uh, that I would love to be able to diet with that are down there. And if it doesn't happen, it's not meant to be, but if it does happen, I'm just like waiting for the right time, right place, all of that. I, I agree. Yeah. I think because it's a it's a new portal for me that's opened up in the past year and a half or so. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do wait for them to call me, but my ears are really perked up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, what's next? I've done a number of peyote ceremonies in the past few months that I, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed, but had subsequent benefits. Um, one of the main ones being just an amazing union with my with my girlfriend, Allison, that 
kind of came to be as one of those results. Um, I had another experience that was really, really fucking wild where a friend of mine who's a, a very accomplished musician um, who's also been sober off like drugs and alcohol like me for a very long time uh, started to have some experiences with plant medicines and he worked with a healer here in LA who works with psilocybin and MDMA in conjunction and in a very therapeutic kind of, you know, held space way, not like, cool, let's listen to records and trip out, but it's a whole journey. It's a thing. And he explained these experiences he had and just the breakthroughs he had were incredibly life-changing and astronomical. So I just thought, well, I have to try this. And I went and did it. And it was so freaking awesome. I had I mean, I had no idea that world even existed. You know, I thought, well, yeah, I'll go to Costa Rica every couple of years and, you know, go on a retreat and do ayahuasca. I wasn't really interested in much else, but that experience was so profound. And it was like, it was very similar. The combination of those two is very similar to ayahuasca, but just no nausea at all. <laughs> you know, but mm. of so like the downloads I got and the the solutions to places in which I was stuck and things that, needed to be healed and creative breakthroughs that I was kind of struggling with in terms of writing a book and different things that I'm working on. It was just absolutely like just lesson after lesson, insight after insight, just download central. It was freaking nuts. And so, you know, every time one of those happens where I get so much out of it, I find it's a little tempting to be like two weeks later, cool, let's go again. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm always being mindful of myself because I feel like I'm called every day. <laughs> you know what I, mean? mm-hmm. so I want to do that shit all the time because every time I do it, I'm like, oh my God, I just like grew by leaps and bounds. And so um, it's, it's nice to hear your perspective and just being patient and being mindful that it doesn't become like, you know, not only where you're chasing this ecstatic or otherworldly experience, but where you're chasing the next insight and the next healing and the next trauma and whatever it is, you know, I think it's important to kind of pace these things and really have time to integrate and to be still before jumping into the next one. And I find myself at times perhaps a little overzealous because it's such a completely new world uh, to me. So yeah, like you're very, you know, sober and patient perspective on that. I know I saw like, um, a lot of that in the ayahuasca world, actually, you know, I would say like my ex was probably like very kind of addicted to that, like rapture experience that you get with it, even though psychedelics in general, and I think ayahuasca, probably ibogaine as well are known to heal addiction the plants don't work if you have no will. If you have no will, the plants don't work. And so I think like all these insights and like powerful awareness that we get, if we just add like one on top of the other on top of the other and don't like sit for a second with it and like really use our will to practice a little bit of like self-discipline with it, we just kind of get lost in the rapture experience which I think maybe for me is why like right now that like really profound insight is coming through in ordinariness and like not rushing. And it's coming through rather than with like a calling in and like a, a manifesting things. It's coming through with like releasing and demanifesting things. Demanifesting. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting concept. I wonder if Lacey, our friend Lacey Phillips has done anything on demanifesting. <laughs> <laughs> and course, how to like simplify your life and stop bringing more stuff in and actually just let some things go and settle into what you've got. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah, simple pleasure. I think it's it's important for us to remember that simple pleasure, you know? Yeah, I'm experiencing that a lot in the time in which we find ourselves in right now, just being home. And I mean, I'm quite busy because I'm I'm an online business person. So not much has changed for me in terms of output. And it's not like I have a bunch of free time, but I'm definitely less distracted by going, oh, I'm going to drive over here and see this person or go do that or go have lunch. I'm just staying home more, even though I am home a lot anyway. But I've really been relishing those moments where... And I just had one this morning. I just walked in the house and and last night, and my girlfriend Allison is sitting there upstairs in the bedroom. And there's like a you know nice deck out there, and it's sunny and beautiful. And she has a cat, and I have a dog. And and I walk in, and I'm just like, what is this life? What an incredible life! Just those three entities being in my world and just being so beautiful and loving and and perfect. And nothing happened. You know, it's not like I got a check or a big deal went through or any kind of profound spiritual realization or moment where God struck me with lightning and everything changed. It's just a really simple, slow paced recognition of the gifts that are already there in their profound simplicity and beauty and just you know, really sinking into that gratitude. It's a great reminder. You know, I think in the hustle bustle of um, the life of a seeker like you and I and so many people probably listening, it's like, okay, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. It's like, nah, let's just stop and just recognize, wow, I have a couch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. This is awesome. I have a thing to sit on. I mean, it really can be that simple. And then you look over and you go, whoa, there's someone that I love deeply sitting here on said couch with me. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, yeah, I've been noticing my family a lot in this situation and being like, wow, these are the people that I'm, I'm stuck with and I'm pretty into it. Like, this is great. (laughs) That's amazing. Close. There's two questions I wanted to ask you. Um, One, Mm -hmm. what does your meditation practice look like? And has that evolved and changed over the years or do you kind of have a way that you do it and that's your thing? Um, I am open to my meditation practice shifting and evolving and coming, letting come through whatever needs to come through. Although I have to say that I, my first intro to meditation was with Zen meditation, which is just sitting in silence and stillness, eyes half open, staring at a blank wall and counting your breath till 10. Then you walk around in a a square and then you go back and you sit. And um, there's a lot more detail with it, but also like there's not. Like Zen is the practice of just silence and stillness and like emptying out. And so Zen meditation is always something that I go back to. And my morning practice, it always ends up being wake up before the sun, sit in silence and stillness for around an hour. Nice. You're my hero. I My goal in life is to watch the sunrise every day. When I watch the sunrise, I 100% of the time have the best day ever. Yeah. Sun gaze and the whole thing. Um, but <laughs> I got in the habit 
I live in a canyon, so it's difficult to do. I have to drive, you know, four minutes up the hill or something to get to it. And when the sun was rising a few weeks ago at like 10 to 7, even a little bit at like 7 o'clock, I was like, yes, I can do this. Now we're at 6.15 and it's amazing. Just that 45 minutes difference in the morning is, might as well be four hours, you know, because I go to bed and it's 11. I'm like, I ain't getting up at six o'clock and climbing up the hill, you know, but um, there really yeah. is something to be said for that. The energy of the earth in those early morning hours, there's something really transformative and, and powerful in that stillness before nature's kind of awakening and coming to life and things are becoming activated, you know, to catch that stillness. So it's a great reminder. I'm going to make an effort to, I guess I have to go to sleep at like 9.30 to get up and and do that, which is challenging, but I'll get there. Um, And then when you pray, what does that look like for you? If you even do that in a, in a classical sense, how do you, how do you commune with God? I sing. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. That's how I pray. I sing. I sing like whatever needs to come through. And I find myself praying a lot into water lately through like singing into water and then sending that water into larger bodies of water, like the East River. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. What way? Like taking um, time with my meditation practice, taking a bowl of water. It's spring water, by the way. (laughs) And um, then singing into that water, taking that water in a container down to the East River and then pouring that water into the East River. So that way my city is surrounded with the vibration of, the prayer and wherever the water goes out to. Wow. That's that's so much cooler than I thought your answer was going to be. <laughs> I thought, well, I just take time sometimes just kind of talk to God. Hey, thanks. You know, could we work on this? That that was that's like so epic. I love that. What a great idea. And it it and it reinforces your Scorpioness, you know, that I didn't even know about you that we we shared that, that that water being the the carrier of frequency and the carrier of information and intention. And of course, that's how you would pray. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. All right. I've asked you this question before because you've already been on the show, but I'm going to ask it again because I realize I, it's like my thing. And recently, I think I forgot a couple of times because I've interviewed people about such sort of explosive topics around our current um, situation. So I get to the end and I forget, but who have been three teachers that have influenced your life and your work that you might share with us? Hmm. Um, I, I guess I have to say like who comes up first is like nature or the spirit of nature or like mother nature. And then I think also um, my daughter would be a huge teacher for me in my life. And I don't know why, like, I just want to say like Mary Magdalene and I don't know why, but I just want to say that. And I think it's cause I, I just read this book called, what's it called? Rituals and Sacred Stone. It's so awesome. It's more of like a historic novel, 
but I felt a lot of connection to whoever that person was, even if she was just like a consciousness. Awesome. That might be the first time anyone's given that. So thank you. And now we can put that book in the show notes too. We can't put your daughter in the show notes. That's all you, but we can put the book in. <laughs> I, think, um, I think that's it. In closing, let's just give people any of your social media, websites, et cetera. Where can people go find you and uh, all your offerings? So you can find me on Instagram at Mama Medicine. And you can go to my website, mamamedicine.com to book a medicine reading or connect to any of my online events. And you can buy my book, Ritual Baths, anywhere books are sold. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming back on. Good to see you and congratulations. So good to see you, Luke. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. You know what? I just realized actually, I totally forgot about this too, but we were at Mercado Sagrado a couple of years ago, and I saw that you were on the the program, and uh, I was speaking there or something. And I went and did your uh, an outdoor session that you did with a group of us. With I think you did some breath work and yeah, like Kundalini Kriya kind of stuff, and it was freaking dope. I totally forgot about that until this moment. So <laughs> I have actually experienced your magic at least in one um, in one capacity there, and I look forward to doing it again. Yeah, we'll definitely get you set up with a medicine reading. All right, awesome. Take care. I'll see you soon. Thank you, Luke. Well, that brings to a close another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go take a bath. I'm seriously, I'm going to go draw a bath right now, throw some essential oils, crystals in there, find some flowers, some bentonite clay, throw a couple drops of iodine in there, run it through my, uh, my bath water filter, the whole deal. I'm ready to get my chill on. Uh, so I might recommend that you do that as well. Again, if you'd like to get a reading with Deborah, you can go to mamamedicine.com slash medicine readings, enter the code Luke 20 and save 20% off a reading through the end of the year. That's this year, 2020. And again, uh, so that you get all of the links all the transcripts, all the goods from every episode, don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. And I always like to remind you that I would never, ever share your email with anyone. And I do my very best to only email you when there's something really important to share, like a podcast episode, etc. Get on the newsletter by going to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter or text the word lifestylist to the number 44222. That's lukestory.com slash newsletter or text Lifestylist to 44222. And uh, you can always unsubscribe if you don't like it. But I don't think that's going to happen because all I do is just send you amazing free content. That's what's up. All right, speaking of content, uh, this content would not be possible if it were not for our wonderful, uh, supportive sponsors. We've got Onda Wellness, with some fantastic CBD products. Again, like I always say this, you guys probably think I'm, I'm BSing you. And I say, I use this every day. No, legit. Like maybe I miss a couple days, but five days a week or so, I'm taking my Onda Wellness CBD. It's fantastic. Uh, so go to OndaWellness.com. That's O-N-D-A Wellness.com. Onda Wellness, like que onda ese, that kind of onda. Uh, use the code Luke15 there and save 15% off. Now we've got Bioptimizers. Man, these guys make everything you need to digest your food properly. If you want to have awesome digestion like mine is getting as a result of using their products, 
go to masszymes.com slash Luke. That's M-A-S-S-Z-Y-M-E-S, masszymes, like enzymes, but masszymes.com forward slash Luke. Enter the code Luke for 10% off. These guys' stuff is dope. They were on the show actually a few months ago uh, and uh, described how their hydrochloric acid supplement works, their gluten guard, all of the different enzymes they have. It's insane. If you actually want, you know, if you eat protein and you want it to become your protein, you got to have enzymes to do it. They make really good stuff. And while you're at it, might as well pick up some bee products from beekeepersnaturals.com. The code there is lifestylist, and that gets you 15% off. And uh, you can, of course, find all of those things at lukestory.com forward slash store. That's the mothership store where all of this stuff lives, including those exclusive discounts. If you want to learn how things like magic mushrooms, LSD, MDMA, and ketamine can help people overcome uh, lifelong addictions, mental illness, PTSD, etc. I know it sounds crazy, right? That's what I thought until I interviewed the man behind it, Dr. David Rabin, PhD, who also makes this really dope device called an Apollo that helps you manage your mood by just wearing this thing around. It's nuts. Anyway, you won't believe it until you hear it with your own two ears, but you got to tune into the show on Tuesday for psychedelic psychiatry and cosmic connections with Dr. David Rabin. So that's where you will find me next. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Uh, It's such a gift to be able to share these conversations with you. And I'm so grateful that you join me each and every week. If you love this show, which I'm guessing you did, if you're still hearing my voice at the end of it, please share it with a friend. Actually, two, three, four, five, maybe even 10 friends right now. Just text it to them. Just do it. Why not? Screw the sponsors, just share the show. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's that's plenty of support. And maybe check out one of Deborah's medicine readings just because I think you'll really enjoy it and it'll encourage me to go do it myself. All right, that's it. I am out. Thanks again for joining me.